from deep in the gutter man cave with the big wiener andre dominguez cool film photographer roxana angles the hottest trend in film photography jess jones and the true working man's camera podcaster mike gutterman it's the negative positives podcast hello and welcome to the negative pauses podcast episode 375.5 i'm your host mike gutterman coming to you from the gutterman cave here in beautiful louisville kentucky and this is uh, going to be kind of a, a solo show, just yours truly tonight, uh, and with some uh, listener interaction. Uh, a big thanks to Mr. Larry Effler for providing the open to uh, to this uh, this, this episode, uh, it, it, putting his submission into the Negative Positives Intro Contest, where you can win a hoga uh, from Mr. Mike Williams uh, that was also previously fingered by Mr. Andre Dominguez. So uh, that hoga has been around a bit, but hey, uh, you know, and you get the fame of, uh, of, of being the intro uh, uh, to this podcast for a month or two if you're the big wiener. So it's a, it's a contest, folks. The competition's fierce. And uh, I actually have like only three more intros. Well, uh, technically I have four, mo- four more intros to um uh, that's been submitted. I'm going to say there's three though because uh, Mr. Neil Piper sent a uh, kind of a kind of a half-ass intro, and I think Neil can do better. So I'm I'm going to say I got three more intros in the pipeline for the show. But uh, yeah, if you want to get in the intro contest, uh, it's really easy. Just record and open for the show. Say whatever you want. Make fun of us. However you want to introduce the show, uh, send me that audio file. Uh, to negpositives at gmail.com. I'll put, I'll expertly put the music, the open music behind it, and um, you can be an open to the show uh, on a particular episode. And if you're the big wiener, well, you'll be the open to the show for a month or two while we uh, uh, just, just, you know, just, uh, just cement your your fame in the film community. But uh, <laughs> thanks to Larry Effler for uh, this week's uh, open. Uh, submission for the uh, the negative positives intro contest. You're gonna actually hear a, a call in from Larry, a call in camera review from Larry in this episode as well. Uh, so, I guess the first thing I want to get to is uh, some emails. I have one email. It comes from Mark Fole. That's F O H L. Movies is the title. He says, hi, Mike. Sorry to interrupt your wonderful podcast. (laughs) But since you talked about photography movies and didn't include one of my all-time favorites, I feel it necessary to enlighten your listeners. The name of the movie is Pecker. (laughs) And no, it's not that kind of Pecker. (laughs) Uh, He knows me well. (laughs) It's a John Waters film, so it's way out there, even without Divine. It's got cameo appearances by Cindy Sherman and Patty Hearst. It's actually a cute film about a quirky family, one member of which is an aspiring photographer and another of whom is a talking statue of the Virgin Mary. Also, Blow Up is an excellent film, a 60s art film by an Italian director, very much about photography, and it deals with illusion and reality. Keep up the good work, Mark. Mark Fole from Westerville, Ohio. And I spent a, a good part of my day yesterday in Ohio as I took my son Grant back up to college at Denison University. Uh, so, yeah, I had eight hours of driving yesterday and a lot of time in Ohio. But uh, thank you, Mark, for, uh, for uh, you know, filling us in on this movie, Pecker. 
It sounds like something I need to check out. And Blow Up, yes, that was a movie that we had mentioned. Uh, I did have that title correct, and many people told me about that. I still have not seen that film. I need to see it. Um, apparently, it's uh, it's one of those uh, classic uh, movies uh, that has photography as a, a center, uh, central subject of the uh, of the uh, the movie. So, uh, all right, well. I guess that's our only email this week. So uh, let me get to, uh, I want to get to some, some shout outs. Um, so uh, first off is uh, Leo Nikishin. And he um, has, uh, he had, he had a, a podcast. It was called 10 Rows of Film. And that podcast is still out there on your podcast catchers. And uh, I definitely recommend going and checking those episodes out. It was a, a really good podcast. But Leo has transitioned from podcasting to YouTube. And I think that's it's probably a you know it's not a bad move. I think you get more audience on YouTube than you do in podcasting these days. But uh, uh, and I had Leo on a, a solo show uh, interview episode, uh, gosh, probably several months ago, and uh, just a great talking. I, we, Leo and I have talked a lot uh, throughout the years, and I just love that guy. But uh, but yeah, I had a great interview with him on a solo show uh, interview. But now he has moved to YouTube, and on YouTube he is still called Ten Rolls of Film. So I'm going to give him a shout out because uh, he just put out a video called Never Have I Ever, number one. It's going to be a series that he's doing where he tries something he's never done in photography. And in this particular video, he uh, he goes uh, one location, but he takes three cameras. Now, he's one of those guys. He's one of those weirdos that that just takes one camera with him when he goes and shoots. I don't I don't understand it. It, it, it it's, uh, it's, it, it's 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 alien to me. But but this time he decided to take three cameras, multiple cameras to one location. And he gives his thoughts about that and uh so yeah definitely check out leo nikishan's 10 rows of film on youtube i'll have the uh i'll have that in the show notes but and uh but you know i, I and i have to say this i selfishly and <laughs> promoting this i promote it anyway because he's, he's got a great youtube channel and i would love to, uh, you know i always want to promote uh, people in our community that's doing fine things on youtube but obviously there, uh, selfishly i have to admit that he used some of my music uh, for the uh, for the uh, this particular this episode on his Ten Rows of Film YouTube channel, and that always makes my day because that's why I'm doing like this whole background music project that I've been doing for like a year and a half now. In fact, I should have another album out in the next day or so, and uh, on that cha- on my uh, Bandcamp page, which is uh, uh, www.mikegutterman.bandcamp.com, where I have all sorts of um, uh, basically instrumental background type music for you to use for these type productions. And you know, I I, I got to I'm, I'm a little I'm, I'm being a little selfish here but uh, anybody that you know uses my music in their YouTube videos uh, I'm gonna promote them here on this podcast <laughs> you know uh, I just, just you know I feel like hey you use my music and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug you I mean you get a, you get a free plug so uh, <laughs> so yeah you know hey I, I'm a sellout uh, I'll sell out you know so you know hey there you go <laughs> but thank you, Leo, for using my music. And definitely check out his YouTube channel. He's doing fine work over there. Ten rolls of film on YouTube. And check out his old podcast. Uh, he's kind of abandoned it to like put his efforts towards YouTube. Uh, but his podcast is still out there, and it's uh, he did a great job with that as well. So, uh, All right, another shout-out. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Kevin Lane, uh, the Uncle Jonesy's Cameras podcast. Now, Kevin has recently... Uh, uh, upped his game with the podcasting in the podcasting game where I think he's, he's actually trying to do like one episode a week right so yeah and uh, so yeah that's good you know he's getting back in the game and I, I love that podcast Kevin does a great job over there uh, but he gave us a shout out in uh, episode number 37 uh, and he was talking about things that he was thankful for 
and uh, uh, and he just he kind of mentioned us. He mentioned that podcast, uh, film podcast, was one of the things that he was thankful for, and, and mentioned us, and uh, that just really warmed my heart. And uh, thank you so much, Kevin, for uh, for, for for that. That was uh, really cool. And if you haven't checked out the Uncle Jonesy's Camera Podcast, well, you're just you're just goofing in life. You're you're just goofing, and uh, you need to do that. So, uh, but that that got me thinking about, and I'm, I'm going to actually steal this idea from from uh, uh, Mr. Kevin Lane because uh, uh, you know this uh, we just got through Thanksgiving here in America so it's a time when you reflect on what you're actually thankful for and so uh, you know I mean obviously the easy things are your, you know your health your family your friends and all that but that's not something I want to talk about on a film podcast but w- what am I actually thankful for yeah, that actually uh, that'd be something that maybe people don't really think about. You know, pe- people that listeners of the show may not actually really think about because obviously the things that you're thankful for, your family, friends, health, uh, uh, whatever it might be, your job, or I'm certainly not thankful for, I'm thankful for my job provides a, a living for me, but it's not something I necessarily uh, 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 love or anything. But but you know, so uh, okay, what am I what am I actually thankful for? Thankful for that's you know in, in the confines of what might be of interest to people of this podcast and and maybe get you all thinking about uh, what you're thankful for in a different way and the thing i came up with was uh, i'm thankful for uh having a creative outlet uh and the desire the passion for creative outlets uh because i know a lot of people that don't and i'm not you know i have i have some really good friends and uh, and you know here locally and you know some of them you know they're great people uh, but really, they're just concentrating on, you know, uh, you know, doing their job, you know, raising a family and and all that stuff's great. But they don't really have any creative passions. They don't really pursue anything, a creative outlet. And I just think I just think that's so odd. And like I, maybe those people just aren't wired. They don't they don't that way and they don't they don't feel like they're missing anything. But I am so happy that I have, uh, for whatever reason, been given a creative uh, passion to, like, to, a passion to uh, explore creative outlets because it has fulfilled my life so much and uh, through music, playing music and, and doing photography, just having these artistic outlets has really kept, made me, a, really helped me be a more sane person, a happier person, and I'm just super thankful that I have uh, these passions to be, uh, to create things, to, to try to be artistic. Now, whether any of my music or my photography is actually, uh, has any artistic relevance, well, that's that's kind of beside the point. <laughs> the, the fact is, I have the passion to do it, to pursue it. And uh, I'm seeing that in my son now, like my oldest son. Uh, we, we went up to Ohio. I had like four hours on the road with him uh, when I went and picked him up to, to bring him home. And then I had four hours to bring him back, just me and him in, in a car alone talking. And, you know, we're talking about uh, making music and he's expressed some interest in photography. So I sent him up with a camera and I showed him how to load it and told him a little bit about the exposure triangle and all this stuff. But I'm starting to see like, you know, this real artistic um, uh, passion grow in him. And uh, I'm just so thankful for that as well. Uh, and so, yeah, just I, I, when you think about things you're thankful for, there's obvious things in your life. But if you are in, in, in this hobby, if you're in this passion, and you are, you know, uh, trying to create, trying to do something artistic, trying to express yourself in some way, whether it be through photography or music or uh, help painting or pottery or wh- whatever, whatever the hell you do. Uh, uh, just you know, take a take a time to be thankful that, that you have that desire, even if you don't think you're that good at those particular passions. The fact that you have the drive to do it, I think that's something to be thankful for. So, um, and obviously. 
uh, just to get sentimental. I, I, I'm super thankful. Uh, like, And I'm copying Kevin Lane on his podcast. I'm super thankful here uh, for all the listeners of this, uh, of this show. And uh, guys, you, when I started this thing, I never imagined it would uh, be something that would be going this long, that would have the amount of listeners we have, that would have the community we have, uh, the, just the, the active Facebook group that we have, and, and just being able to meet so many great people all, all throughout the world, people that I consider friends that I've never even actually met in person. And it's just been one of the one of the things I'm most proud of that I've done in my life. And I, I don't know if I considered podcasting a creative outlet, but it certainly uh, sort of feels that way at a time. I, I'm, I'm very I get a lot of satisfaction uh, over just the the, the the gifts that's been given to me uh, through uh, you know, meeting so many cool people and uh, and being able to uh, converse with people and get to know people all throughout the world. It's just been a, a huge blessing doing this uh, doing this podcast. So uh, trust me. Um, if there's anything we provide to you, the listener, uh, it is nothing near the amount uh, that you guys have given back to me. And I just I'm thankful for that. So uh, I, I love you guys. So uh, and gals. So thank you all very much. Uh, OK, um, so, yeah, I should mention why this is a, a, a solo. So I, I forgot to mention this in the, in the beginning, why this is a solo show. You know, it was like Thanksgiving. Uh, Andre has family in town and uh, I just decided, uh, you know, I, I like to be a good boss. Right. You know, I work in a, a union shop at Ford Motor Company or union, you know, and uh, and so, uh, the, you know, they uh, the co-captains have not tried to unionize this podcast yet. But uh, <laughs> but I like to run this like a union shop. So it's a, it's a holidays. Andre has family in town. Everybody's got to go back to work on uh, today and all this so I just gave them the week off and uh, just get, get some listener interaction out of the way and uh, we'll, we, I, the, the nice thing is we're going to return next week with a guest so you won't have to wait two weeks for the next episode this is just kind of a filler episode and then we'll come back uh, next week with uh, the co-captains and myself and a guest uh, so only one week to wait for the next uh, the next podcast so uh, there you go um, and so one thing that that I, I had a thing on the Facebook group I was asking people, uh, the, you know, the fine people of the Negative Positives Film Photo Podcast Facebook group, what they think about like show links. Because I know we've been going really long. We've been going over two hours on most episodes. And granted, we only are every two weeks most most of the time. But uh, and some, and the overwhelming majority wasn't really that concerned about show length. But I, I, I will say that if I had my choice, these shows would be hour, hour and a half long. I think that's the sweet spot, but we've been going two hours, two ten, two fifteen, you know, and I know that's a little long. Uh, and I, I'm trying to figure out ways to, to, you know, condense it a little bit, but you know, I also don't want to rush conversations. I, I feel like I don't want to have a guest on and, and feel like I've got to rush the conversation to, uh, fill a, a certain time limit or whatever. So that's always been kind of a conundrum for me, but, uh, but so on this show, Oh, actually, in that Facebook uh, thread, uh, some people have said, well, you know, we send these call-ins in, and because you only do, like, listener interaction shows, like, twice a month, it could be, like, three, four, five months before our call-in actually gets played. And I, and I hear that, and that, I think that is a problem. So, uh, tonight, I'm going to play three call-ins uh, on the show. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, once I do that, that'll only leave me with one call-in left. So, I'm going to be in the red zone on these call-ins. So, if you have any call-in camera reviews or or anything in your film journey you want to talk about and you've always wanted to send a call-in to the negative positives, this would be the time because after this episode, I only have one call-in left. So, I, again, I'll be in the red zone, the danger zone, uh, like Kenny Loggins would say. And uh, on my call-ins, I'll be, uh, uh, the, the, the cupboards will be almost bare. And so... 
So there you go. Uh, but I do plan on in these listener interaction episodes to, to do more than one call in each time so that you, if you send me a call in, uh, it won't be, uh, you won't have to wait six months to hear it. <laughs> so, cause I, I recognize after someone, uh, actually Malcolm Myers pointed that out. And uh, thank you, Malcolm, for, for letting me know that that, that kind of does take some of the, some of the fun out of it. So, um, uh, that, that's a, that's a very good point. And so I'm going to take that to heart. Uh, see, I listen, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to, trying to listen to the listeners, you know, trying to give you guys what you want. Uh, that's <laughs> so, uh, but speaking of Collins, uh, you know, Larry Effler did the, um, the open to the show. And, uh, oh, and if you want to send a call in again, uh, anything in your film journey, film developing, a film review, a camera review, a lens review, uh, where you goofed up, uh, you want to just call in and make fun of Andre, any, any, any sort of call in, uh, just record audio any way you can. Easiest way is on your smarty phone through your voice recording app or whatever they call it. And, uh, send that audio to nagpositives at gmail.com. And I'll get it in the queue to get on the air. Again, after this episode, I'm only going to have one in the queue. So, uh, you know, uh, you can get uh, get in pretty quick, right? So there you go. But, uh, yeah, Larry Effler said they call in. And uh, uh, with his call in, he sent me a... Um, he's, I did the intro to the show again. But uh, also, he uh, sent me an email with his call in. He said... Mike, as I said on Facebook Messenger earlier, I really love your podcast. I found it while recovering from COVID in the hospital and then at home in November, December, and January. I've been listening from both ends. The new ones go to the front of the queue when they come out, and I'm catching up with the vintage episodes in between. It really has inspired my film photography. Oh, man. He's listening to the old shows. <laughs> or I should say the old shows. Uh, wow. Larry, That's a, I'm sorry for the old shows, but I'm glad you're keeping up with the new ones. <laughs> Uh, all right, he continues. I have included a listener review. Please forgive the quality. My voice hasn't yet fully recovered from my bout with Mr. Corona. It's not so much a review, but the story of how Fool and his camera are not so soon uh, united. Anyway, I hope you can use it. If so, I'll send more later. I have a lot of cameras with mildly, inter- mildly inter- interesting stories. Maybe my voice will improve as my recovery continues. As always, stay positive and, sh- and take some cool film photos. Larry Effler. And Larry is on Instagram at Larry Effler. Uh, that's Larry, E-F-F-L-E-R on Instagram. All one word. Uh, so check him out there. Well, thank you, Larry. And absolutely send me some more uh, call-ins. As you maybe just heard, uh, I'm down to one after this episode because I'm going to play three on this episode. And uh, so, yeah. And, uh, man, I'm glad that uh, you're recovering from COVID. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I know that must be uh, must be really tough, but thankfully you made it uh, made it okay out on the other side. And, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, definitely give me some more call-ins, Larry. I look forward to that. And thank you for sending an uh, intro contest submission as well. So, But let's check out. What Larry Effler says, uh, his call-in about the Nikon F3. And he calls it, he actually titled it Nikon F3 Saga. So let's listen to what Larry has to say. Hello, Mike, and all the negative, positive listeners. Please don't hate me. Twenty-something years ago, while rummaging through piles of broken and abandoned gear at work, I found an old, dust-covered Zero Halliburton case. The boss said, I think there's a dead Mets flash inside. Take it if you want it. Who doesn't want a nice free camera case? So I took it home. The case was locked, but the combination was only three digits long. That shouldn't take very long to open, right? I set it to triple zero and started trying numbers. Somewhere north of 100, I lost interest, meaning to try again later. Later turned out to be 20 years later. Last spring, with pandemic-imposed time in my hands, I found the zero and gave it a shake. That clunk sure sounded like a big dead flash. Luckily, someone had invented Google, which told me how to open the case without trying a thousand combinations. 
Sure enough, the old Mets was in there, attached to a Nikon F3 with a Nikkor 50mm f1.4 lens. What a surprise. It's like finding a pearl in an oyster at Red Lobster. Honestly, I did ponder my moral dilemma for a few minutes. The fellow gave me the case, passed away years ago, and the company that employed us was long out of business. I decided to keep the camera. The F3's future was not promising at first. It was covered in a gray goo and powder that had once been closed cell foam. Here's a pro tip. That stuff does not age well. A UV filter protected the glass, but every other inch of the camera was encrusted. It did clean up well, though. The PC socket is still a little corroded, and there's some pitting on the metal. Bouncing around unprotected in a metal case took a toll, too. The E-lock button and rewind crank are missing. With A76s donated from my old Minolta and a roll of Fujifilm from CVS, I took the F3 for a spin. Now, I'm not an icon man. If you ask me, the lens controls turn backwards. However, this one is one of the sweetest shooters I've ever used. Your fingers land right where they should. The shutter sound is beautiful, maybe even sexy. As expected, the Nikkor is tacked sharp and smooth, even after marinating and dissolved foam for decades. The F3 has aperture priority auto exposure. Set the f-stop with that bass backwards aperture ring, and the camera sets the shutter speed. In manual mode, you can choose a shutter speed between 1 2,000th second and 8 full seconds. The camera communicates its exposure suggestions via a tiny LCD display in the viewfinder, which also displays the current shutter speed. In my opinion, little plus and minus signs are not a great way to read a meter, so I almost always use the auto setting. This is Nikon's first flagship camera that needs a battery to use all of its shutter speeds. So, because there's not a Walgreens selling A76s on every corner in Borneo, the F3 can shoot at 1 60th second without a battery. That mechanical shutter speed has its own shutter release on the front of the camera by the AE lock button that my copy is missing. The B and T shutter settings are also mechanical. The F3 has a mirror lockup lever and a multiple exposure switch, both of which I'll never use. One thing the F3 doesn't have is a hot shoe. That's the price you pay for interchangeable viewfinders. Nikon made an on-camera flash that clamped over the rewind crank. You could also attach an aftermarket hot shoe there, but I sure would hate to shoot with a big old Vivitor 283 way out over the left edge of the camera. Maybe that's why I found it clamped to a Met's potato masher flash. Negative positive podcast listeners don't need to be told about the Nikon F series storied history. Suffice to say that if you read a newspaper or a magazine in the 90s, you saw plenty of cool film photos made by an F3. And I can see why all those pros swore by the F3. Once you get used to turning the focus and aperture rings the wrong way, it is a joy to use. I can live without an AE lock button, but the missing rewind crank is a pain. It turned out a motor drive from KEH was easier and less expensive than getting the crank fixed. Now, I love motor drives and auto wonders, but the MD4 makes for a heavy and formidable package. It is a great piece of engineering, though. The ergonomics are good. The base is set at a rakish angle that lets the camera set level on a flat surface. And the camera can draw power from the MD4, making the lack of A76s in Borneo even less of a problem. Despite the heft, I have taken the F3 and its motor drive on my last two weekend trips. Maybe I am a Nikon guy. Did I mention the focus and aperture rings turned the wrong way? Anyway, technically I've had this F3 for years, but it sure feels new to me. I know what I'm going to do with my new Nikon, and you should do the same. Stay positive and take some cool film photos. Well, thank you so much, Larry Effler, for your <laughs> your call-in camera review, I guess, for your Nikon F3 saga. And what a saga that was, like, to uh, have this uh, this case that you can't get into and you're trying to crack the code. Uh, 
<laughs> I think that's where I would have just, uh, I would have given up really early and just brought out power tools, you know, and like just, uh, and got into that case uh, <laughs> that way. Because, I mean, I don't know, uh, as uh, as men often do, we, we try to use any excuse to use power tools. At least I do. Because uh, I think there's like this, this thrill of victory. Anytime I use a power tool, and I accomplished something, and I still have all my fingers. I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like uh, uh, like when cavemen invented fire or something. Uh, so, <laughs> but thank you, Larry, so much for the uh, for your your story about your Nikon F3. Uh, I am not a Nikon guy, as most people know, but man, uh, a lot of you a lot of you fine people are. So enjoy that camera, Larry, and thanks for the call in. And, and hey, and you, you said you'd send me more. I'm I'm, I'm holding you to it. So. All right, folks, let's uh, let's take us a little break and we'll come back with another call in. So uh, we'll take a break and be right back, folks. Folks, we are back from the break, and on this uh, segment, I'm going to have a uh, another call-in listener interaction. It's what we do on these shows, and this one is going to come from Mr. Malcolm Myers. You know him, you love him. He has uh, been uh, one of our more frequent call-in, uh, I guess, call-iners, call <laughs> callers, <laughs> and uh, he's going to give us another one of his like historical photographer call-ins, and I, I really enjoy these and. We've gotten fantastic feedback uh, from these, and and so Malcolm, I hope you uh, continue to to do these because uh, give us a little education. Because there's one thing that I'm not sure I ever provide on this on this podcast is actual like uh, hard hard education, <laughs> any real real uh, attempt at education. But Malcolm always delivers, and uh, I like to call Malcolm Myers our our European correspondent. So. Uh, uh, we're going to listen to uh, Malcolm Myers. Give us a, uh, take us down a little history lesson for a photographer named Jane Brown. So let's check out what Malcolm has to say or, or, or what he wants to teach us about photographer Jane Brown. So let's listen to Malcolm now. Hello, Mike and everyone in Negative Positives land. This is Malcolm Myers, and here is my call in for this week. You can find me at PhotoValve on Instagram or on the Negative Positives Facebook page. I'd like to talk about a female portrait photographer who many of you will have heard of. She is generally regarded as one of the best portrait photographers of the late 20th century. However, her story has its own little quirks and idiosyncrasies that make her more interesting than the average photographer. I'd like to give you a quick biography of her life and why I find her work so fascinating and raise a few discussion points about how we all might learn a thing or two about portrait photography from her. So today I'm going to talk about Jane Bowne. That's B-O-W-N, no R. Jane was born in 1925 and served in the Wrens during World War II. Wrens stands for Women's Royal Naval Service, by the way. She even had a hand in plotting charts on D-Day. When she had been demobilised at the end of the war, she was at a bit of a loss as to what to do. Sitting with a group of her fellow Wrens, one of them said that she should try photography. She liked the idea. After all, her job in the Navy had been visual, so she thought it might suit her. And she had an education grant from the Navy anyway, so why not? 
At the time, there was only one full-time photography course in Britain, run by Aoife Thomas at the Guildford School of Art. Unfortunately, the course was already full, but as Thomas was a reservist in the Navy, he let Jane join because of their shared naval background. You might expect me to say that she excelled and then went on to a glittering career, but sometimes life is not that simple. In fact, Jane didn't really get photography to start with. She didn't even own a camera. She also felt overawed by the other students, many of them ex-RAF photographers who already knew something of their craft. Nevertheless, she was a keen student, always first to arrive and last to leave, and she did learn the basics of photography with a large format Gandolfi camera, as well as the importance of good lighting and correct exposure. She also learned how to make a decent print. But the subjects they were told to photograph didn't really stimulate her, and she struggled to get to grips with what her tutor called the seeing eye. That was until an aunt gave her £50 and she acquired an old Rolloflex. It was with this that she captured the picture that would later open the door to her journalistic career. It is a close-up photo of a cow's eye. When Ethan Thomas saw the picture, he congratulated her, and it was this success that reignited Jane's passion for photography. It was during this happier time at college that she learned about the artificial lighting of faces, although she always preferred working with natural light. Also, her natural reservation, a result of a troubled childhood where she found out that she was illegitimate at the age of 12 and that a woman she had thought was one of her aunts was in fact her mother, meant that she struggled with presenting her ideas in front of the class. She just couldn't do it. As a result, she did not graduate at the end of her course and she also failed all her technical exams because, in her words, I didn't understand the questions. However, she heeded some of her tutor's advice that if you have 12 superb photographs, you can go around the world. The failure to pass her exams did not hit Jane too hard. This was the late 1940s and so, like so many women of her day, thoughts of a career were not uppermost in her mind. So, what happened next? Just like many of us with a camera, we become our friend's official photographer and Jane was soon taking pictures of people's children and realising that she could earn more doing one commission a week than she could by taking on a traditional job. A friend persuaded her to show her work to an advertising agency as well as other publishers. Eventually, her work was seen by a picture editor by the name of Mechtild Naviaski. Upon seeing the photo of the cow's eye, Naviaski felt that if she could photograph a cow's eye, she could probably photograph a person. A few months later, Naviaski became the first picture editor at the Observer newspaper, and Jane received a telegram telling her to drop everything and come to London to photograph the playwright Bertrand Russell and his new wife at breakfast. Initially, Jane was terrified. Up until then, all her photos had been taken under controlled conditions, and if she didn't like the photos, she could always go back and do it again. All of a sudden, she was in at the deep end. She now had one chance, and one chance only, to get her shot. She managed to get the shot, and her photo of Russell was published. This was 1949, and Jane's photojournalistic career had begun. Just as an aside, and for those that don't know, The Observer is a Sunday newspaper in the UK that is on the left of the political spectrum and is a newspaper that is favoured by creatives and intellectuals such as actors, writers, musicians and artists, as well as more liberal politicians. And so it was that these people became the subjects of her work over the decades that followed. Jane's work can be broadly split into two camps, her personal work and her professional work. Her personal work mostly comes from the 1950s and 1960s, and is what we would now call street photography. Photos of people at the beach, people going about their daily work or on a protest march, circus performers and gypsies. These were mostly taken outdoors with her Rolleiflex. Her professional work was different. 
While she did cover social issues outside, her work was usually indoors and of one person, the person being interviewed by the reporter she was accompanying. This led to her strategy of finding the light. Unlike so many people in the negative positives community, Jane was not an experimenter when it came to film and camera settings. She generally used Tri-X rated at box speed. She also tried to stick to a setting of a 60th of a second at f2.8. So much so that rather than set the camera to the available light, she would move her subject to wherever the light falling on the back of her hand, no light meter for Jane, told her that she could use her preferred settings. She would often move her subjects to the stairwell in the hotel they were in, or even go to the local pub to find the right light. Rarely shooting more than a roll and a half of film, she would move around her subject in a bid to find her picture. She would often exclaim, ah, there you are, as she clicked the shutter. As she said, some people take photographs, I find them. The pressures of working to a deadline, she was often given less than 15 minutes for a shoot, meant that the Rolleiflex was too slow and in the 1960s and 70s she started to use a 35mm camera. She tried a Pentax but finally settled on the Olympus OM-1 with a 50mm or 85mm prime lens. She went through several bodies during her career, most of them bought second hand. She would turn up to a shoot carrying her cameras in her shopping bag before getting them out to photograph whichever notable celebrity her journalist colleague had been told to interview. In the winter months, she also carried an angle poise lamp with a 150 watt bulb in it, the only artificial lighting she used. As the Observer is a Sunday newspaper, Jane was only ever part-time, and so she led something of a double life. In the week, she was plain Mrs Moss living just south of London with her husband Martin and their growing family. And on Friday and Saturday, she would travel up to London and be Jane Bowne, famous photojournalist, although she described herself self-deprecatingly as a hack. She was very protective of her private life as she wanted her children to have the stable upbringing that she felt she had missed out on. As the decades passed, Jane noted how the role of photojournalism, or rather the sitter's attitude towards photography, had changed. In the early days, she was left to her own devices. But as the celebrities became more powerful and photographers more plentiful, she noticed how it became harder to work with her sitters as agents and image consultants started limiting what photos could be taken. It was also the case that the photographers became famous as well, something she never aspired to. But Jane's style also changed. This is shown clearly by two photos she took of the actor John Gielgud, one in 1950 and one in 1993. The 1951 is very much of its time, austere and formal, with Gielgud looking out of shot with a stern look on his face. The latter is a much more relaxed affair, with Gielgud sitting back on a garden bench wearing a hat, some ornamental dogs at his feet and smiling towards the camera. And so it was that pretty much every artist, musician, actor and politician of any significance in the latter half of the 20th century had their photo taken by Jane. She was told to use colour for a few years in the 1970s, but never took to it as she felt it was far too noisy and simply went back to black and white. Probably her most famous photo is the one of the playwright Samuel Beckett from 1976. After he refused her request to take his picture, she cornered him in the alley beside the stage door of the theatre where he was rehearsing. In those gloomy surroundings, she asked him for three pictures, took five, and it is the middle one that sees him staring down at her like a hawk from the shadows. It was this attitude of not giving up that gave her the nickname Tenacity Jane at The Observer. As she said to one picture editor who was concerned that she might get pushed around in the media scrum for photos, my elbows are as sharp as anyone's. A few of my favourite photos are a thoughtful Archbishop Desmond Tutu caught in profile, a fun-loving Bjork with her hand across her face, 
a laughing Mick Jagger, a fragile Iris Murdoch, a profile of Rupert Murdoch which just reeks of menace, and some photos of the Beatles relaxing in their dressing room. Apparently when she was told to leave that shoot, John Lennon piped up and said, she can stay, we like having her here. This shows another side of Jane's character, that despite her somewhat parochial appearance, she was quite a bohemian character, very much at home with performers. All of these photos and many more that I admire resonate because they show something of the personality of the subject rather than just their image. At the age of 80, Jane was still working, and given that at the time the Queen was also in her 80s, Jane wondered if Her Majesty would like her picture taken by an 80-year-old woman. To her surprise, the palace said yes, and Jane went off to Buckingham Palace. By all accounts, the Queen was a willing sitter and even let Jane shoot three rolls of film. What results is a series of portraits that show a very human rather than ceremonial side to the Queen. And so, after six decades of photographing influential people from all walks of public life, Jane retired. Even then, Jane simply could not get out of the habit of going to London on Friday and would often go and sit in the lobby of the Observer and catch up with her former colleagues. Jane passed away in 2014 at the age of 89, leaving behind a body of work that, I'm sure, will be admired for many years to come. So where can you see her work? Fortunately, and unlike Olivides, who I talked about in episode 371, Jane Bowne is very well known and lots of her work has been published, so there are many books to choose from. Faces is mostly her professional work, with a great selection of celebrity portraits from across her career. Exposures is a mix of personal and professional work, and often showing the professional photos that did not make it into the Observer. A Lifetime of Looking, edited by Luke Dodd, covers more of her earlier personal work, as well as her lot of her social documentary work. There are also several other books, including Women of Consequence and Men of Consequence, that can be bought very cheaply second-hand from Amazon. I was going to ask for Men of Consequence for Christmas, but then I realised that my Negpos chums might beat me to the punch by then, so I ordered it anyway. If you have Amazon Prime, there is also a video looking for the light for you to watch. Finally, if you Google Luke Dodd, that's D-O-D-D, you should get his profile at the Guardian newspaper, and scrolling down, you will see that he has written a lot of articles on Jane, including her obituary, as he seems to have taken on the role of her biographer. So, why am I such a fan of her work? My main interest in photography has always been recording the lives of the people that mean something to me, and to aim to make at least some of my portraits a bit more than just smiling snapshots. In other words, I'd really like more of my photos to be Bowne-esque. So how does my photography compare? Well, as I have said, most of my photography is glorified family snapshots taken with some decent photographic equipment. But every now and then I get something that might be described as Bowne-esque. One favourite is at the bottom of my Instagram feed, at PhotoVal. It's a black and white shot of my son, aged about two, taken on Triax and only with the light from the north-facing window. He has a pencil in his mouth and is looking out of shot. I don't know if it was shot at 160th at f2.8, but it wouldn't have been far off. Definitely one of my better attempts. So how do I do this more often? What is it that sets Jane Bowne's work apart from mine? Firstly, I've always felt that photographers can be split into two broad camps. The gearheads, who obsess about the minute differences between lenses, and who feel that one more camera will make the difference to their work, and the artists, who seem not to care about gear and are more interested in composition. I have to admit to being more of a gearhead than an artist, and I think being an artist before a gearhead is more important, so I'm always trying to improve my artistic skills. Secondly, there are also, no doubt, great photographic artists who have sets, banks of lights, and several assistants working on each photo shoot, and they produce amazing work, 
but it's so far removed from the resources that I have to work with and what I'm capable of that whether I like it or not is academic. I can't even attempt to copy it. But a mid-level film SLR, a couple of prime lenses and some window light, well, pretty much every listener will have that sort of gear several times over. And that's what makes Jane Bound's style of work so tantalisingly achievable. So if Jane Bound's photography is definitely not about the gear, what is it about? Her subject, perhaps? If you see a photo of a famous person, are you wowed by the subject or the photo? I doubt if I had a famous sitter, the result would be as good as Jane's. Also, many of her personal pictures are of ordinary people and they are equally as strong, so I don't think it's that. How about demeanour? Who would you feel most comfortable being photographed by? A loud photographer with loads of gear and a brash attitude, or someone quiet and unassuming? I think the latter. She certainly aimed to be unobtrusive and always tried to work with her sitter. A lesson for us all there, I think. What about format? When I'm not using a square format, I tend to take portraits in portrait format, yet many of Jane's portraits are in landscape format. I don't know whether this was an artistic choice or whether landscape format simply suited the layout of a newspaper better. Nevertheless, I am trying to use landscape format more often in my pictures, and I like it. And why not expose twice for the same shot, one portrait and one landscape, and then choose the best one later? To my mind, Jane's photos achieved two things. Firstly, there is often an interesting light across the frame, and, after all, that is what photography is, writing with light. But she also manages to convey an emotion in her sitter, laughter, contemplation, thoughtfulness, anxiety, happiness, relaxation. Perhaps this is why there is so much emphasis on communication between photographer and sitter in a portrait session. It seems to me that a good portrait photographer should aim to highlight the emotion that the sitter is feeling at that time, rather than trying to force an emotion onto the sitter with a typical smile please. Such a forced emotion is likely to lack authenticity, I feel. And I think this brings me to my final point. It is very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that, to be a good photographer, you have to get the shot with every single exposure. And this is not the case. Whilst I'm not advocating spray and pray, because this often relies too much on chance and means that you have to spend ages editing, we must remember that Jane would shoot around 50 exposures in a shoot in order to get the shot, although I'm sure that more than one came out well. I've also found that some of my best shots come from a series of similar shots, where I've simply been moving and shooting, moving and shooting, and then picking the best later. My Bound-esque shot of my son comes from a role where every shot is of him, taken over a period of about half an hour. And there are a few other shots in that series that I feel are just as Bound-esque. So I think that spending time with your subject and giving them time to relax near the camera as you shoot is clearly an important factor. For me, that means moving away from the single smile for the camera snapshot and more towards shoots that allow the sitter to be themselves, to allow them to forget that the camera is there and to give me the opportunity to capture what is there rather than forcing the issue. So whilst I may never reach the levels of Jane Bann in my photography, I shouldn't become despondent because these are all areas which I can work on and improve and I hope you can too. In fact, I think the only way any of us are really going to get better is to stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Well, thank you so much, Malcolm Myers, for your uh, your history lesson on... And see, I goofed. I goofed before when I introduced it. I already goofed. I, I said Jane Brown. It is Jane Bown. Uh, B-O-W-N. No R. B-O-W-N. Jane Bown. B-O-W-N. And uh, see, that's why you don't listen to me for your education. You listen to Malcolm for your education, right? Because I'm a, I, I, as Bugs Bunny would say, I'm a, I'm a real maroon. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, wow, what a great, 
she kind of sounded like a real badass. I got to admit. And some things that I, I took from listening to that uh, as I'm editing this uh, this podcast. Um, I like her slogan. Some people take photographs. I find them. That's uh, that's fantastic, right? I think we can find some motivation on that. And I also found it interesting that you know, for somebody that really probably had a lot of success, uh, she considered herself a hack. In fact, uh, in like academic uh, learning of photography, didn't really excel at that. But uh, just kind of shows how you know the artistic process is not necessarily uh, something that can be taught. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can le- learn the fundamentals, but the actual artistic eye—I don't know. I think that's something you learn through experience and. It's kind of uh, hard to teach in a classroom, I guess. But um, uh, another uh, point that Malcolm made was like when he was talking about his own photography, it's sort of the whole thing about uh, whether you're an artist or a gearhead. And that's something that I struggle with a lot because in both my hobbies of photography and music, gear is such a is is such a oh what's the word? It's a uh, such a enchanting mistress. That's <laughs> It's always calling your name, you know, and uh, I, fortunately, I've, I've sort of lost a lot of camera gas uh, in the last couple of years because I feel like I finally got to a point where like every camera base was kind of covered because I went through such a camera buying spree for uh, so many years. I kind of feel like I have all my bases covered, but with, like music gear, that never ends. Like I'm always wanting another pedal, another guitar and and all this. I'm, I'm actually thinking about what am I going to ask the wife? What music gear am I going to ask for from the wife for Christmas? But uh, so, but I'm always chasing gear uh, in my in my passions, and I, I kind of wish I wasn't like that because I do think there is there is a difference. Um, I, I, there, it does seem like uh, you know the art artistry of these passions is not necessarily tight having gear. Certainly, you need the gear to certain gear to to get certain things, but. I think we get so focused on gear sometimes we forget that it really doesn't uh, actually uh, improve the artistry of our craft. So uh, I enjoyed that that portion of Malcolm's uh, uh, talk there, and and particularly uh, one thing that was interesting is he was talk, uh, Malcolm was talking about like how a lot of uh, Jane Bounds photos were uh, even though they were portraits was taken in landscape mode, and he, he you know wondered why that that maybe was. Uh, but and that he had, had tried the same. I, I recently was showing some portraits that I took of my wife uh, on a on a family vacation to one of my friends, and uh, actually one of my favorite ones, the one I was most proud to show him, was a, a photo of her, and it was in landscape mode, and I had her, you know, off off to the side a tad, and uh, you know, do, using the rule of thirds, I guess, right? And <laughs> and uh, it's it actually is probably one of my favorite portraits I took of her during that session, even though I took plenty in portrait mode, that particular landscape photo did kind of resonate with me. So uh, that I found that very interesting. So Malcolm, thank you so much, man. Like you do such an excellent job at these things. Excuse me. Uh, a little, little beer burp, little beer burp hit me. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you do such an excellent job on these things, man. Please keep them coming and don't start your own podcast. Cause no one would ever need to listen to me. Uh, they would just listen to your podcast because they learned something. So, uh, uh, but man, thank you so much. They're just a great job. Uh, check out Jane bound B O W N not Brown. Like I said, before I introduced Malcolm, like a big goof, but, uh, Jane bound B O W N. Uh, yeah, uh, just man, what, what fantastic uh, call-in, uh, Malcolm. Uh, he, and she took she took a lot of photos of celebrities. Even I think there was a, a, a some mention of John Lennon. 
That brings me to something I, I just watched tonight. Uh, if you have, uh, I guess if you subscribe to Disney streaming services or whatever, uh, there is a, a thing that just came out. I think it's what his name is, Peter Jackson or whatever, uh, uh, has put together this uh, uh, Beatles, uh, I think it's, what did they call it, Let It Be, uh, sort of this Beatles, uh, uh, all this footage of when they were recording that, uh, uh, their, 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 I guess their final album. And I watched the first part of it tonight uh, before I came out here to the cave. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, was, it was fascinating watching uh, the Beatles uh, in a kind of really uh, turbulent time, like where they were, you know, not kind of uh, probably tired of each other a little bit, <laughs> kind of on each other's nerves a tad. And uh, watching them write these like classic songs, like how they uh, watch the formation of these songs. And I can see like my, my wife kind of lost interest a little bit uh, because uh, I think it's uh, there was a lot of the uh, musicians would really dig it. But I wonder what the common person, uh, a person that's not a musician, how, how much they'll enjoy watching them. Uh, these songs kind of take form i don't know uh it'd be interesting to see what the reviews are going to be on this on this documentary i've only watched the first part i think there's like three parts to it or something so uh, i'm only through the first part at this point but uh it, the, one of the things that really made me happy was in this first part of this beatles uh documentary that's just come out on the disney streaming services i believe it's disney i think it is uh yeah uh, is like at one point uh linda eastman who i guess eventually became linda mccartney paul mccartney's wife uh, but at the, in the in this particular documentary, she's uh, she's obviously his girlfriend. I think I guess I guess she, they they named her as Linda Eastman. I'm assuming that it's before they got married. I'm not sure. I don't know the timeline. But there's a point where like they're uh, kind of like you see Paul McCartney at a, at a piano and he's starting to write. Uh, kind of coming up with the basis of what's going to be like uh, hey jude i think it is and she's got her her uh nikon slr and she's starting to snap photos of like really the kind of how uh, the beginning of the the writing of hey jude and uh, wow what a, what a, an awesome <laughs> thing to be involved in like the a situation to uh, uh capture those moments on on film and uh they actually show some of her photos in that in that documentary uh, that she took of those sessions where they started writing that song or whatever so that was actually the one of my the highlights of the first first part uh that i've seen of that of that documentary so if you get a chance uh, if you have disney or whatever i don't know what i guess it's just on disney plus or whatever it's called uh that that beatles documentary uh, if you're a Beatles fan or whatever, uh, it's worth checking out. But I, I, there was a nice little photography moment in there where uh, Linda McCartney or, or, or Linda Eastman was taking photos of the band in their, uh, when they were writing these songs. So very cool. Okay, uh, let's uh, move on here. Uh, thank you again, uh, Malcolm, uh, also for an excellent review. And I'm sure uh, everyone will... will uh, We'll uh, chime in about how good of a job you do at that. So uh, keep them coming, Malcolm. And, and I promise uh, they'll come more qu more quickly now because I'm, I'm going to get more of these listener interaction things uh, out on these particular episodes. So uh, thank you so much, sir. Folks, uh, let me take one more break, and I'll find the next call-in to play, and uh, we'll get on out of here. So let's take us a, a final break, and we'll be right back, folks. folks we're back for the 
final segment. And uh, I, again, I, I goofed again. That's what I do. Uh, I was talking about the Beatles documentary where Linda Eastman was recording or, or, or the, the, the moment on her film camera uh, of Paul McCartney uh, in the beginning stages of writing. Uh, I said, hey, Jude. It was not hey, Jude. It was let it be. He was uh, coming up with the... Uh, the melody to let it be not not hey jude i goofed see that's why i i'm gonna make it a disclaimer uh, on this podcast uh facts are optional so uh, <laughs> so there you go it was uh it was let it be not hey jude so just uh you know i, I goofed again that's what i do but uh <laughs> okay let's get to our final uh call in camera review and this was going to come from none other than mr bill smith from the Classic Camera Revival podcast, which uh, recently just had uh, Jess Hobbs, who has been on this show uh, multiple times, uh, as uh, joining on as a, a, a kind of a, 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 a she's she's on the team now as a co-captain on Classic Camera Revival. So uh, great development for the Classic Camera Revival gang having uh, Jess Hobbs on there because she's always a just a a wonderful person. So. But anyway, Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival, he's going to talk about the Nikon F4. Man, this has been a Nikon-heavy podcast. I'm going to have to be careful here because if we keep talking about Nikons and not Pentaxes, then I might lose this badge of you know being the working man's uh, podcast. You know, because I mean, Pentax is a working man's camera, and all this Nikon talk. I don't, I don't know. This is this is highfalutin stuff going on here. Like, uh, but. Uh, so, but anyway, I won't hold that against you Nikon fans, you Nikonians. Is that what they call you guys? Uh, I know Pentax guys, we call ourselves Pentaxians. Do you guys call yourselves Nikonians? I don't know. I don't think it sounds as cool as a Pentaxian. Because Pentaxian sounds like something from another galaxy ready to take over the world. That's Attack of the Pentaxians. Uh, it sounds like a, a, a good 50s sci-fi movie. But <laughs> All right, somebody stop me. Uh, let's listen to Bill Smith. And his calling camera review for the Nikon F4. Hi, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival with yet another phone-in review for negative positives. Yes, it's a Nikon, so sue me. It's the Nikon F4. Do you remember where you were in the late 1980s? I did. Uh, 1988, I was in second year at University of Toronto and up to no good. And that was when Nikon unleashed the F4, their first pro-body autofocus uh, film camera. It was designed by Giorgetto Gregorio, who also designed the Maserati Bora, the Volkswagen Golf, and a bunch of other really cool things. As a piece of industrial design, this has got to be one of the most perfect cameras you could ever come across. Uh, the F4... Um, can go up to one eight thousandth of a second. Uh, it is uh, powered by four AA batteries, which you gotta love, especially if you're in the middle of nowhere. There's always someone who can sell you AA batteries. It was had a single autofocus point, and I'll get to that later. Uh, and it's also the first pro body that went with a copal shutter, which is really cool because that's why you can get the one eight thousandth of a second. Now, unlike other autofocus bodies at the time, it also had a manual rewind crank because, you know, just in case. The F4 was a brilliant camera, and in some ways it was a failure for Nikon. Um, its autofocus was a tad, um, and I'm first to admit this, it is a tad lazy. 
You compare it to a Canon EOS one, the EOS one will dust the F4 all day, every day. However, and allow me to put this on the table, the F4, and I'm gonna make this rational argument, is the last manual focus Nikon Pro body they made. Well, technically no, the F3 was produced in 2001, but you get where I'm coming from. It's like, also in some ways, it was a bridge camera that it still retained the older ergonomics um, that you would recognize. So if you're someone who was used to shooting with an F2 or an F3, you can pick up an F4 and you can kind of sort of make your way through the basics. The other big bonus with the F4 was metering modes. You had spot metering, center weighted, and of course, matrix. And what the big bonus is, you can use those three metering modes with, with pretty much uh, pre-AI lenses, the AI AIS mount, the first generation autofocus and AFD. Now, this is where things get interesting with Nikon. When they started going to the G series lens, which didn't have the aperture ring, you can use it on shutter priority and in program modes, but you lose the, uh, manual, the manual and aperture priority. But other than that, uh, the F4 is an amazingly solid camera. It also has one other Achilles heel. Uh, the LCD readouts. Uh, I found this out because my lower LCD readout bled like crazy with the old prism head. But you can solve that by buying another prism head and hoping that it does not have any bleed as well. I got lucky and my F4 is back in business for a lot more shooting pleasure. The other Achilles heel of the F4 is it's... Um, heft. Um, if you're used to lugging an F2 or a Canon F1 with a motor drive, the F4 will be nothing new to you. Um, maybe an impetus to do more push-ups in the morning, um, CrossFit. Uh, it only gets worse when you get into the F4S and the F4E where you've got the higher uh, frame rates, but you also need to have two extra AA batteries. But again, AA batteries, easy to come by. Any corner store, supermarket, drugstore, souk on planet Earth will have AA batteries. So it's no big deal. Um, I would say the um, F4 is a great road trip camera. Uh, if you're going to shoot a fair ton of slide film, I would highly recommend it. Color film, I have never had a bad roll go through my F4. And I'm glad I got it back up and running. So yeah, that's my review of the Nikon F4. And again, the F4 is great for those of us who, who like more manual controls. I, I wound up boring my brother's F5 and I got lost. And that's never a good thing. Anyway, I better wrap this up. It's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. I hope you liked my meandering review of the Nikon F4 and have a great day. Well, thank you, Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival from your, uh, for your uh, calling camera review for the Nikon F4. Uh, one thing that Bill said that uh, actually I do agree with, I love a camera that uses AA batteries. I have 
two cameras that use double A's and I'm so thankful for them. And it just to, to, to cleanse my palate of all this Nikon talk, let's get, let's get to Pentax. Let's get to the, the working man's camera, right? And uh, I have a Pentax SF1N that I managed to luckily find a, like a little battery grip thing that goes on, on it that allows you to use double A's to power that camera. And it makes it one of my favorite cameras to shoot in all of its 1980s ugliness. Uh, it's so 1980s that, uh, well, I, I guess uh, for a while it would get, now it's cool because it looks 80s, I guess, because, you know, I guess the 80s are cool now. I don't know. But but <laughs> there's that. And my Pentax 645N uh, uses uh, double A's in the uh, the in the, uh, the 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 battery in the, the the grip that you hold the camera with. In fact, I think all the Pentax 645 uh, system uses double A's, and I certainly appreciate that. So I can I can I can get down with what Bill says about the double A batteries, man. That yeah for sure. But uh, again, thanks, Bill, for the uh, calling camera. I got one more ca uh, call in uh, left in uh, on the cupboard, and that one's going to be from Bill as well. So uh, that's all I got, folks. So if you guys want to uh, send some call-ins, now's the time. Uh, I'm in I'm in the danger zone. As Kenny Loggins said, you know, and uh, so uh, there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge, but uh, okay. I guess we can go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we got uh, one coffee donation to get to, and <laughs> it's none other from Mr. Larry Effler. Now, Larry did the intro. Larry did it. We have a call in from him. This has become like the Larry Effler episode, right? And uh, it just goes to show you if you send a coffee donation to this podcast, you know, I bump you up in the queue, right? And, I, and I'll play all your stuff when you send us send us a coffee donation. Uh, <laughs> folks, that is absolutely not what happened. This actually is completely pure coincidence that uh that larry's uh, intro contest uh, uh uh submission and his call-in and his uh coffee donation all landed on the same uh uh same episode i call it what do they call it serendipity uh yeah something like that that's a big word uh, hopefully i use it properly <laughs> but <laughs> anyway larry sends a, a comment with his coffee donation it says stay photographic and take some cool film positives or something like that. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Larry, uh, for your your coffee donation and and for your intro submission and for your call in. It's 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 your show, Larry, and uh, we're just uh, we're just here to we're just here to enjoy it. So, <laughs> thank you, sir. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Last thing is. We're going to have a uh, listener music track that I like to do on all these uh, solo shows, all these listener interaction shows or whatever. Uh, anybody in the community that also happens to make music, make original music, because I know there's a there's a big connection between photography and musicians. A lot of musicians are photographers. A lot of photographers are musicians. It's kind of the same thing, right? Uh, if you happen to have ever made some original music in anywhere in your lifetime and you have them sitting around on cassette tapes or uh, 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 DCC or DAT or uh, what's some of the other formats? A mini disc or CDRs. <laughs> By all means, get me give me those files. Yeah, let, let me hear your music. Let me hear your your uh, your your uh, your attempts to, to to rock the world, and uh, I will play them at the end of these episodes. And tonight we'll have none other uh, than a track from Mr. Mike Caputo. Aloha, Big Mike, right, on uh, Instagram. He's been on the show several times. Everybody everybody knows Mike Caputo, right? <laughs> well, he had a project at one point. Uh, his band project was called Pimp Flash. Pimp Flash. <laughs> and we're going to hear a, 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 a song from him titled Phasing Out. 
Uh, this will be a, a track from Mike Caputo, uh, Aloha Big Mike on Instagram. Uh, Pimp Flash, his, his, his project Pimp Flash with a song titled Phasing Out. And I will play that as soon as I get all these socials out of the way and we get on out of here. So let's get the socials out. Uh, you can see my photography on Instagram at guttermanphoto on Facebook book at Mike Gutterman Photography. I don't know why I say that because I rarely update it, so don't, don't worry about that. Uh, you can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. That's where you're going to send your call-in camera views, your original music that you've created in your lifetime. You can send all that to negpositives at gmail.com as well as your intro contest, uh, comp- intro competition submissions. Competition submissions. It's a, it's a tongue twister. And uh, you can join the Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film Photo Podcast facebook group uh we also uh you can uh we have an instagram account under the account name negative positives uh it's mostly ran by mr casey hall and roxana angles if you submit photos to negative uh to instagram think about using the hashtag negative positives and uh, maybe they will highlight it for us all to check out and you can support this program on coffee it is ko-fi.com slash negative positives and uh, we have a merch site it is negative positives podcast.bigcartel.com where you can get overpriced t-shirts a baseball hat and a coffee mug that's large enough to hold a a a beer and uh, (laughs) uh with the negative positives logo on it so and lastly uh, the original music uh, of mine that you can use for your productions is on Bandcamp. It is uh, www.mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. I'll have a new album out. I was going to try to get it out tonight, but this uh, editing has taken a lot longer than I thought it would for this this, this episode. So it might be in a day or two, but I have a new album out this week. So uh, uh, check that out. So, All right, folks, uh, let's go ahead. and uh, we're, You're getting ready to hear Mike Caputo with his project Pimp Flash, the song uh, titled Phasing Out. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so check that out. Everybody have a great week. Everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos.